Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Deconstructing the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I am here, and with me here, as always, is Brett. I never freeze, Eitzen. <laughs> I never freeze. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about Black Panther, the first of those two movies, and Chadwick Boseman's second appearance into the MCU franchise. I think he'd only been in Civil War at this point. Correct. We, once again, don't have a drink because I'm still trying to get things figured out on this end and money is tight and don't feel like spending it just on alcohol. So I are you drinking? I know I have a drink, but it's non-alcoholic. You last week, or last week, last last episode, I had the Baha Blast. <laughs> and this week I have Kroger Big K Vanilla Cream Soda. So Ooh. I went with the disc. Look, there are not that many like cream soda options out here where I'm at, where we're at. I mean, I don't know. Like, you may have more, Trevor. But <laughs> I'm like, this is cheap and it tastes good. So yeah, I'm man. here for it. That's the way to go. Is it is it ironic that I chose like, I don't know. I Cream soda, vanilla cream soda seems like a super white person drink for <laughs> our Black Panther episode. <laughs> Totally unintentional, but I think if it was, I think it's the vanilla that makes it that way. I instead think of so. Like, instead of like red cream, red cream soda or whatever the cherry one is. Mm. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, it's funny you're drinking the Big K version because uh, I have my standard soda choice, which is some Dr Pepper. And it's funny you're drinking Perfect. Big K. I had a friend. In, I had a friend. <laughs> thank you. I had a friend in college. He didn't like Dr Pepper. But he did like Mr. Pibb and hit or uh, yeah, Mr. Pibb. And his reasoning was he always said he felt more comfortable with a mister than some hoity toity doctor. And so anytime <laughs> I see Mr. Awesome. Pibb, that's what I think of. Yeah. <laughs> so those are our beverages of choice for today. Maybe we'll put that. Maybe that will have been in the tweet or not. I'd, wow. No, I'd be kind of funny. But since this is the first movie of 2018, the first MCU release, we have some world events for you. I don't have a, there's not a ton of stuff that happened. I just, I mean, I'm sure there were a ton of things, but just on the website that I used, there were not like a plethora of things that happened, but 20, the stuff that 2018 did happen basically didn't exist is what I'm hearing you say. Well, the things that did happen were like big things. Okay. Okay. It just, there just wasn't a lot of them. Like, I don't remember what that, what 2016 or something. 2016 was a big like, year. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. So first, I have Ethiopia and Eritrea or Eritrea. Eritrea? I'm not sure how to say that. I might look that up and edit it in. I don't. Eritrea. I don't, I, I'd, I'd offer you help, but I don't have the word in front of me. Oh, so. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Ethiopia and Eritrea signed a peace treaty that year, ending a 12-year war. And it looked like the conflict had been longer than that, but like yeah. the, the official start date to the official end date was 12 years. The the end of war is almost always good. I mean, like if it was a if it was the bad guy winning, no, but like ending a conflict, that's good. Positive note. Right. Yeah, ending a conflict. That's always a that's always a good thing. Uh Donald Trump is president at this time and he I have a couple things here about him and kind of like what you said last time, I'm just I pull. I'm just going to read you exactly what was on the site. I'm just 
telling you as it was presented to me. We're not commenting on it, per se. Right, yeah. So I'm just going to read this verbatim. Donald Trump campaigned pledging to do different things in foreign policy and to do them differently. His summit meetings in 2018 showed him to be a man of his word. He spent the G7 summit in Quebec in June berating other leaders for their country's trade policies, left the meeting before it ended, and tweeted from Air Force One that he wouldn't sign the communique he had agreed to before he left. He then went to Singapore, where after five hours of meetings with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, he signed a vague 400-word communique and declared that there is no longer a nuclear threat from North Korea, despite abundant evidence to the contrary. I do remember that happening. I remember when he made that announcement that there was no more nuclear threats and we all were kind of like, what? Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I think like several months later, something exploded over in North Korea and everyone was like, that's probably a test bomb. Right. Just so you know, yeah. or something like that. But yeah. Oh, I guess that was the only thing I had about him. I read another thing. It was just, Oh, it was, a, it was a trade war thing was happening this year. Uh, mm. He was really prescient for trade wars I believe his comment was something like trade wars are always good and easy to win or something like that. <laughs> I don't remember, but that was the other thing I didn't write down, but there you have it anyway. Hashtag me too goes worldwide this year and is still heavily used today as a sign, I believe of kind of safety in numbers and, you know, just getting that information out there. And anytime somebody acts against somebody else in a violent way, we need to bring that out. Like yeah. that, that stuff shouldn't be hidden away. We shouldn't try to suppress it or, you know, if something has ever happened to you personally or just in general, there are people out there that are willing to help. And I think the me too movement was a great way for people to come together and be like, no, we're going to stand against this. Yep. In France, <laughs> the hashtag was, I'm going to butcher this. I tried to look it up before. And once again, I might splice this in. You but don't know French. They, I know. the the ha It's funny you say that because I've actually, this past week, I've had to study a lot of French <laughs> terms. But the hashtag in France was Ballon Ton Pot. I like, probably butchered that. I'll try to splice it in if I can find, find it the proper way to say it. But it translates to squeal on your pig. And oh. I'm like, that is so revolutionary French. Yeah, <laughs> Down with the man. Kind of, yes. Good for them. I I love that squeal on your pig. Oh. Other things, uh, a little more U.S.-based. The U.S. left the Iran nuclear deal this year. I also remember when that happened. I must have been out of school by this point. <laughs> because mm. all of these, there we've talked about several political things where I'm like, I don't like have any recollection of that. <laughs> now in 2018, we're getting to like, okay, yes, I, I remember now. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so that was a big deal. I don't have any information currently on if we ever entered another nuclear deal since then or if we've just been out. Yeah, um, not, not familiar enough with it either. Yeah, and apparently after it happened, several of, of the U.S.'s allies like flew to the White House and lobbied to try to get the u.s to rejoin and I, I don't know that we ever did actually a couple more things here yep. jamal khashoggi mm -hmm. was murdered after entering the saudi consulate in istanbul he was a columnist for the washington post and from what i read it seems like after it happened there was a lot of different stories 
compare uh, like stating what had ha- actually happened after all we know for sure is that he entered the building alive and was killed or died at some point in there and i think the most widely believed story is that i don't remember his name but i i think it was like one of the prince princes uh, the prince yeah, of that yeah, area yeah. yeah ordered his murder in the building mm-hmm. that's kind of, i think that's kind of the most widely agreed story on what happened like yep. i said we're just <laughs> stating these things as <laughs> as they've been recorded and then the last thing which i think is relevant this year because i think 2023 is about to be the new record for the hottest year mm. but 2018 is when warnings about climate change really ramped up and when activists and scientists were really like, hey, we should maybe take better care of our planet. <laughs> right. Like there's this like almost talk of like point of no return is it's inching closer. Right. Like we're we've said that things are going to be bad, but like, <laughs> please, for the love of God, <laughs> listen to us. Right. Yeah. 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 And I can remember that, man. And I in my tiny little studio apartment here this summer, I had four days of no ac during one of the heat waves Mm -hmm. it it was unlivable just about like i'm actually surprised my dog made it man she's old and it was hot and she it was bad but since that night or since that week i've kind of been a little more like we should probably do something (laughs) like right right (laughs) pretty ridiculous anyway so uh this movie actually there's a lot more history to it than I think we've had in a, for a few of these past films. Wesley Snipes was actually the original person that wanted to bring Black Panther to the screen back in 1992 because he felt that Africa had been been portrayed poorly in Hollywood up until that point. And pre-production, actually, this movie had a couple... It was really close to being made twice. So the first time was in 1994 is when pre-production began for the original movie, but then it was stopped in 1996 because the co-creator of the Black Panther, Stan Lee, hadn't yet found a script that he liked. And anytime people were brought on, producers and people to work on it, they were unfamiliar with the source material and they thought that it was a movie about the Black Panther political party, not about the comic book uh, hero. That's, yeah, that's an interesting... I hadn't thought about it in that way, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So then the second time it came close to being made was in 2002. The film was set to be distributed by Artisan Entertainment, and Wesley Snipes was set to produce and star in it, but that was the same year that Blade 3 was happening. Wesley Snipes was is the director of the Blade franchise, so he's no stranger to comic book movies. And I don't know if he's coming back to do the new Blade movie. Because we're uh, set to get an MCU I version. Be- I don't believe so. So Blade 3 was also set to come out that year. David S. Goyer, who was the director of Blade 3, or he felt at the time that Wesley Snipes starring as both Blade and the Black Panther might be overkill. And from what I can see, production on that film just kind of stopped. Like, mm. if Wesley Snipes was out, then we're not going to do it, was yeah. kind of the mentality that I that I saw or felt or read, whatever. So then, in 2007, we finally get, we're finally going to get it. It's finally in talks. Kevin Feige is involved. And he announced in 2007 that Black Panther was in development and was set to release as part of Paramount's 10 film release slate. And then uh, there was like, I was just looking on Wikipedia, and there was about a paragraph and a half of just like, 
this person came in and was involved for a little bit and then they left. <laughs> and then this person came in and was involved for a little bit and then they left. Mm-hmm. So there was just a lot of people coming and going as a part of a part of this movie. And I don't think that Paramount ended up distributing this one nope. specifically. Yeah. And so anyway. Flash forward a few years, Chadwick Boseman actually didn't audition for the role of Black Panther. He he had a conversation with the Marvel Studios about what he wanted Black Panther to look like, and Chadwick Boseman specifically his involvement with Marvel Studios uh, portraying that character. And then he it seems like he was basically just asked like if you want to do this, we'll have you kind of thing. And for what I could see, he was pretty excited about it. And that was a conversation where they decided that he'd also be introduced in Civil War first before having a solo movie. And Wesley Snipes, who at this point was not involved with the project at all, signed off on it and was like, no, this is this is great. Oh. So I think it's kind of cool that, this, that Wesley Snipes had such a big impact or involvement. He, care, he cared enough to see it through, like... You know, it wasn't one of those things that as soon as it was really out of his hands, he just ignored it, right? Like, he still had this passion about it. And even if he wasn't that involved, he's a powerful person in Hollywood or or has been. I don't know if he still really is, but, like, yeah, he's a big name. So that's really cool that, you know, he was able to be, you know, kind of in on that and and publicly give his blessing or whatnot. So that's, that's cool. Yeah, definitely. So after Creed had been released, Ryan Coogler, I I saw it said on there that conversations with Coogler had cooled, which mm. made me feel like they had asked him before and maybe he said no, but I couldn't, I, I, I didn't find any more information about maybe initial conversations, but he ultimately did agree, but he agreed on the, on the condition that he could bring on some of his other collaborators from Creed and Fruitvale Station, I think is what the other movie was okay. that, he, that these people worked on him with. This included cinematographer Rachel Morrison, production designer Hannah Beechler, and the composer Ludwig Gorenson. That's right. This and was, I have yeah. some thought. <laughs> Do what? <laughs> oh, no. This is like, this was the first time I think Ludwig was like in the convert, like in the kind of general, like, oh, like, who's this guy? And like, yeah. Oh, he's, oh, he's good. (laughs) Like, I just remember there was a lot of talk about him. Right. Kind of as like, obviously he has been in the industry, but it was, it was like that boiling point of like, okay, now he's someone to talk about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, (laughs) I have some thoughts on him. Oh yeah. Uh, Well, yeah, not, not a hot take, a hot take now, but for this, it's not. (laughs) Sure. 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 Yeah. So We'll talk about that when we get into when we get into it. So there's a couple things about the opening scene. If you remember the year, the year that that opening scene takes place is 1992, which is mm-hmm. when Wesley Snipes originally wanted oh. to start talking about making a Black Panther movie. It's also set in Oakland, which is where Ryan Coogler grew up. So kind of a couple little uh, homages or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, uh, around neat. that opening scene. Yeah. Executive producer Nate Moore states that this movie was a cross between The Godfather and a James Bond film, stating that it was a big operatic family drama centered around a world of international espionage, which is funny because in the casino scene, the private casino, Mm -hmm. I was like, this feel just 
listening to you guys over on What the Fanboy, there's been a lot of James Bond talk recently. Uh, when he enters that casino, I was like, this feels very James Bondish, like yeah. the 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 costuming and just the the idea of a fight in a casino and the way it all happens. Cougar also pulled inspiration from Francis Ford Coppola and the film A Prophet. Which I have not seen. Have you seen seen A Prophet? No. So, uh, pretty big inspiration from Francis Ford Coppola on this movie, along with some other maybe smaller titles. But anyway, yeah, man. So that's that's how Black Panther got made. What do you think of the movie, The Black Panther? I think that Black Panther is like so technically efficient with what it's doing in its storytelling that like the first two acts act one and act two are like almost perfect i don't know if i'd change a thing and then i think it kind of goes off the rails in act three but it's like i said it's so like efficient with how it's moving things forward and the energy that's behind it that it it goes by you know kind of quick enough that i'm i'm able to maybe forgive some of the shortcomings i think it it has in the third act but I think casting was like crucial to this movie, oh, and they nailed it. Yeah, it's so good. M- you know, most of the characters have really, really good chemistry with each other. Like you said, there's kind of this like location hopping for a little bit, but you, you know, like the main conflict where it's at and where it needs to be, which is Wakanda. At the same time, it's introducing us to culture. This is a movie that's all it's like steeped in culture, and yeah. it, I think it does a really, really good job of presenting that like idealized utopia you know like it's it's that like what if what if the slave trade never happened what if colonization never happened and mm-hmm. how far back have have has the world set you know the people of africa because of choices that were made and yeah. i think that this movie does a really good job of addressing those issues while also presenting a compelling family drama and uh, action movie. So it's a it's a solid flick. Yeah, all the actors, everybody is 100% in on this. Everyone's bought into the story. They're all, they, they are their characters, you know, which I think is why, unfortunately, when Chadwick Boseman passed, there was a huge conversation about what do we do with this character now? Because he, you know, he had kind of, he, he, I mean, to most people, he, Chadwick Boseman equals Black Panther. Yep. That's just who he is, you know? And I think that all starts here. Yeah, I have a note here. The first 30 minutes of this movie entrenches us in a culture that is so well thought out and so expertly crafted that it doesn't feel like a Marvel movie at all. It just feels like we're watching the Black Panther. Yep. And I, I agree with you when we get to the third act, I don't know if I would say it goes off the rails, but it does really turn into like punch, punch, fighty, fighty. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there are some little pearls in there. There's mm-hmm. some good, I mean, uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. like between Daniel Kaluuya's character and then uh, okay, okay, stuff with Okoye. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, with Killmonger and Shuri and T'Challa, all of that. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about characters. Um, so let me wrap this up <laughs> and should. then we'll go back and talk about characters. <laughs> But yeah, and actually what was funny about uh, uh, actors coming in to play these characters, uh, there were a couple of characters that were not promoted, that were, that that, you know, it was promoted like, okay, we have these people on, they've joined, but we're not going to tell you who they are. It was Letitia Wright and Mm -hmm. then uh, Michael B. Jordan both joined this movie. Michael B. Jordan was actually, I think, 
one of the last to join and his yeah both of them played undisclosed roles but i think that was ryan Co- at least as far as michael b jordan goes i think that was ryan coogler wanting to bring him in Mm-hmm. which again he's a he's a freaking fantastic actor man he's so good but. yeah he, he uh easily steals any scene he, like even even with chadwick on screen like michael b yeah. jordan like you just can't take your eyes off of him he's so compelling and that's what makes him mm-hmm. such a good villain i think absolutely yeah but let's go ahead and hit characters real quick i don't have internet so i'm gonna rely on you for this i will <laughs> i will take it away yeah, so obviously we have Chadwick Boseman returning as T'Challa, Black Panther, Michael B. Jordan, like we just mentioned, as Eric Killmonger, Lupita Nyong'o as Nakaya, 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 Nakia, Nakia, Denny. Uh, I'm gonna butcher some names, and I apologize. Guria as Okoye, <clears throat> and I'm just going down IMDb's list here. No, you're so, fine. Like, yeah. I'm throwing <laughs> out the white guy next, so sorry. Martin Freeman is Everett <laughs> Ross, uh, which he's a re- he's a returning character by now. But Daniel Kaluuya is Wakabi. Leticia Wright is Shuri. Winston Duke is Mbaku. Oh, One he's so sorry. He's amazing, man. I love him in this movie. Sorry, keep going. No, no, no I, I I agree, and we can talk about him a little more in in in, a, in you know kind of when we get to him in the film. But I think as like a tertiary character because he really isn't involved until like the third act. Yeah, he's there in the, yeah. in the fir- at the end of the first or whatever. But like he makes as like as a tertiary character, like like he's so good, like. He's so good. You want to see more of him. And and it's like, (laughs) well, but but then we have to see less of these other people. Sterling K. Brown is older King's brother. He's he's Chadwick Boseman's uncle. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Jabu. I just, no one's going to, I don't, not no one. There's going to be people who are like, who is that? I don't, I don't recognize that. Oh, yeah. You know, some of these, yeah, and some of these names, not even some, a lot of these names, they only say once. Right, yeah. yeah. Like uh, Michael B. Jordan's character, he only says his Wakandan name the one time. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we ever hear the uncle's name. Yeah, or, probably. Oh, no, he, no, maybe, maybe he once. says it once maybe in once. the very beginning. Angela Bassett as Queen Ramonda. Ramonda. Forrest Whitaker as Zuri, kind mm-hmm. of the shaman. He's he just yeah. awesome. Andy Serkis. Who's, all, who's also James, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that his, right? like, cover name is, is that James. his cover name? Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, not the younger one, but the, but the he's, anyway. Continue. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Andy Serkis is Ulysses Claw returning. Yep. Mm-hmm. He was in Age of Ultron, if you don't remember. Yeah. Florence Kazumumba as Io. John Connie as King T'Chaka. Yep, returning. Returning, yep. Also in Civil War. And mm-hmm. then we kind of have some smaller roles that I don't necessarily recognize. You know, they're the they're the ones that have probably an offhanded line here or there, but Right. Did did you mention Daniel Kalua? Yep, Wakabi. Oh, okay. I just must have Yeah, yeah. Wakabi. I remember his name because it reminds me of Wasabi. Wasabi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just know he's the he's the rhino cowboy. He's the, he, the rhino. <laughs> he is, absolutely. So a killer cast. They're all so fun to watch. And I think they've got, they've got, like I said, really good chemistry between almost all of them. And yeah, I guess now we can properly kind of jump into the, right. the, yeah. the movie. So <laughs> yeah, man, that opening is incredible. And I think 
uh, both both the anime <laughs> actually those first three things that happen we get this really amazing animation that i think took two years to fully animate that was uh, i believe took it a ton- i remember reading somewhere that that took a, a ton of work and then the oakland scene is just as good mm-hmm. and it's a great it's a great start to i think it's a great way to introduce us into what is going to be this new world by showing us something familiar, you know, instead of just dropping us in Wakanda, they're like, Oh, here's Oakland. And now you get to see the King and and his bodyguards. And that's our introduction into, into the Wakandan space. And then we get a heist scene where, I mean, it's not uh, like they're not robbing uh, this caravan, but like they're going in to save Nakia. Like, uh, yes. what is this movie? <laughs> Those three really amazing back-to-back scenes, and they all have such different, to- like, not different tones. They all kind of are unified with the idea of, like, Wakanda and the Black Panther. But, like, very, I mean, there's different things happening in each one. We go from this really great animation to this 90s throwback, almost like, you know, looks like something from Straight Outta Compton or something mm-hmm. like that, to... This uh, not even necessarily MCU, but just like it's a hi- like a heist, very like kind of Ocean's Eleven, uh, you know, dropping out of the helicopter and then taking everybody out, and yeah, it's it's wild, man. It's a wild intro. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think I think the introduction and this, and I say we we're using this term introduction as kind of like these three setup scenes, right? Because they're so unique, but they're paced so incredibly well, and they give you just the information you need. I think, I you know maybe upon first viewing, I, I maybe didn't appreciate the Oakland stuff as much, but on rewatching it this time, I was amazed at a like Sterling K. Brown is just a fantastic actor no matter what, like he's just great. <laughs> but B, it really does like when I talked about the idea of like this is a movie about culture. What it's doing is it's uh, it's showing a where does Eric Killmonger get his sensibilities from? Why is he the way he is? It's it's teasing that off the bat, but also it's showing you this difference in in culture of you know how are what is what is black life like in Oakland versus what we're going to see here in a second in Wakanda. Yeah. And they're sho- they're showing us that juxtaposition of like there were choices made to, you know, get people where they're at, but there's still that history of like why, like why? Why are we doing these things? And right. Like Sterling K Brown's character I think has interesting motivations that influence his son who also yeah. have really fascinating motivations that influenced T'Challa later in the film. So, <laughs> right. Like I said, like all three of these, it's like great exposition, great foreshadowing, and then great action. And then we finally get to Wakanda. And I noticed something about when we actually get into Wakanda, the, the frame ratio goes from widescreen to full screen. Yeah. Which I, I had not noticed before. That was a really small thing that I enjoyed a lot. So not to jump too far ahead, but these scenes, I think, always kind of tie together. And I want to get your perspective on it. So later in the third act, when Eric goes, visits the ancestral plane, mm-hmm. and he's a, he's a kid again for a moment, to get, and he talks with his father. Is that showing us what happened after T'Chaka left? I think, because I, I think it's a combination. I, I've always seen it as we, we see... Because he does, we we know that he finds the ring and he finds that journal, and I have always thought that it was just like a melding. Like we see that that's what happens is he find he goes up and finds his dad, and then he 
starts looking through stuff and finds those things. But then we get a conversation that he never got in life. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think it is this. The I don't I don't feel like the ancestral plane is, um, and I think it's intentional. I don't. I feel like it's it's not too. It's not overly explained. There's room for interpretation on like how yeah. the ancestral plane works, and I think we even see that a little bit in, you know, Black Panther two, uh, mm-hmm. w- with another character who goes to the ancestral plane. No spoilers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> that was a little too recent. <laughs> right. Right. But I, but I think yeah. it's this. Yeah. This idea of like part of you know what he experienced when he goes in and finds his father melded with the perspective of you know, someone who has passed on then, because you're yeah. right, because that conversation wouldn't have happened. And so like now he gets to have a little bit of that closure and it is either going to, you know, push him to rethink his convictions or strengthen his convictions. Right. Um, Which we know, find. Why it, is it he doing what he's doing? And yeah. So, yeah. And I think, one of my biggest problems with movies, and luckily I don't see it very often anymore. I feel like it used to really be a strong trope, is when we when you keep things from the audience for the sake of like a reve- a surprise reveal or something mm-hmm. like that. That's actually one of I, I have very few qualms with uh very few qualms with with Ryan Johnson's Glass Onion. One of them is the withholding of information that she's not her sister right the, the character in that so spo- sorry spoilers for for glass onion but we basically end up having to watch the the first half of the movie twice mm. which i am not a huge fan i think it works in that but so stuff like that and then like the other uh hercule poirot movie uh the murder on the orient express they do the same thing where yep. they're purposefully withholding information from us to make it seem like poirot is this you know great detective which he is but we should be finding anyway i'm 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 ranting sorry he's grandstanding over here about mystery (laughs) movies but in this the implication of tachaka killing his brother in an attempt to save james and then subsequently eric finding the journal finding the ring that doesn't put a that doesn't give you at least as far as the plot goes, a character motivation it does, but as far as the plot goes, that doesn't give you new information that you didn't know before. Right. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. And so I, so for the, for those two scenes to be separated and, you know, like you said, we, I like that you said we, we can interpret the ancestral plane, however we want there, there's room for interpretation there, but I think it's, it's even, I don't know about strengthens, but I think it's good or it works that those two scenes are separated by, you know, an hour, hour 10 or something. Of the yeah. Movie. They're pretty, they're pretty far apart placing. It makes sense in the, in terms of like, I, you could maybe get away with the first one being further into the film, but I don't, I don't know if it makes any sense for the second one to, you know, if you're having that mm-hmm. happen at the midway point, then you're having to introduce, you know, Eric and that, that conflict it, it all gets pushed up super fast so right. i am i am impressed though that like that you know callback works so well because sometimes it doesn't I, I mean a lot of times flashbacks bother me kind of for like a similar thing that you're talking about like usually it's a it's a cheap way of getting exposition across revealing something that you know maybe should have been known earlier but 
they I mean they work. There's a there's a there's a technical function to them in film. So yeah, but like you said, um, or maybe not like you said, but you know <laughs> after after our introduction to Wakanda, we get the proper introduction to Eric in the mm-hmm. uh, in the museum robbery. Oh, it's so good, man. So good. He's so subtle um, until he doesn't have to be, and then he just has. Yeah. You can tell he's just he has fun being a little bit unhinged. We also get Andy Circus in there. Uh, he's the most slimy, borderline <laughs> sensual guy. He's so perfect for like it's the same thing with everybody else in this movie, man. He's so perfect for that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But it's at this point we really get to see kind of Eric's initial like w- w- hints at motivation for him. You know, there's this like sense of justice almost where like at one hand you're like i have a feeling he's the bad guy and like should we be like <laughs> shooting down security guards no but like at the same time he makes a compelling point <laughs> and that's one of the great things about this movie in particular is that you i mean i remember even after this came out which when this came out i know we didn't we haven't talked about it yet it took the nation by like storm man mm-hmm. i and i remember going to see the theater around that time. I think I, I had already seen it by this time, but I, I was going to see something else. And this woman uh, with her son came out of the theater and she was like, are you all going to go see black Panther? Cause you all need to go see black Panther. Yeah. Whatever you came here to watch, don't and go <laughs> see black. <laughs> yeah. Just like talking to strangers on the way out of the theater. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was fun, but that's awesome. Yeah. And I remember there was a conversation about like Killmonger's right. Or like, you know, uh, people saying that there is not necessarily in terms of the philosophical philosophical arguments between Eric and, uh, and T'Challa, like they're they're They both have flaws. Yeah. You know, they both have, they both have strengths as well. Yep. So, Agreed. but yeah, that museum scene is a great setup to that. And then even, I love that line, the, the line that ends that scene when he sees the masks and, and he goes, that's not made of vibranium. He goes, yeah, I know. I'm just feeling it. I'm like, yes, good. <laughs> that's awesome. Yep. Yeah, yep. for real. Yep. Then we have the uh, the waterfall scene. We get the uh, kind of actual crowning of, or the the ritual that makes mm-hmm. T'Challa king. I think this is a really good example of setting up these interpersonal dynamics within Wakanda. I say interpersonal, but... Because there's a little bit with M'Baku later, mm-hmm. but, you know, in the introduction, it talks to us about, you know, how the tribes were formed and they were kind of, you know, there's one that was kind of went off and did their own thing. But yep. this is a, a cron- concrete way of showing, like, who has support for T'Challa. Here's a challenger. And at the same time, it gives us a really cool fight scene where, it, you know, he is actually there are stakes because he's he's been his powers have been taken away from him. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. early on, we even get to see like, okay, if these are stripped from him, there is like concern. And Baku almost beats him. Yeah. Yeah. Winston Duke, man. Just so good. And the line delivery, line delivery in this scene is great. Uh, just like across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I'm yeah. with Winston Duke specifically, like just, you know, how he's, you know, he's insulting. Well, insulting he, he's challenging based on this idea of like you know here's someone who couldn't even protect his father his yeah we have someone in charge of technology who scoffs at tradition and like he makes again it's this yeah compelling point of view that is not the heroes 
And right. it's offering the audience a chance to say, like, oh, okay. <laughs> maybe, like, maybe he's being a little bit of a jerk, but maybe he has a point. And yeah. th- that sets up the opportunity for him to be uh, distrusted by the audience later. If when mm. they go to him, we're like, well, I'm not sure they're, he's going to help them. Or at right. least help them in the way we we want him to or expect him to. And it's it just does a good job of tying... And when I talk about, like, this movie, like, technically being efficient, like, it's doing all of these things at the same time to move the plot forward, but also, like, tell a really compelling narrative that intertwines, you know, politics and relationships. And it's awesome. It is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've seen for Black Panther 2, he went on, I think, the Jimmy Fallon show and he did the Mayafa thing with the Mm, audience. mm -hmm. If you haven't seen it, look it up on YouTube. It's a really neat just it shows like we've been saying this whole time. It shows how much these actors bought into their characters. And yeah, it's it's very cool, man. He they're all great. But as soon as he shows up, I'm always like, let's go. (laughs) Speaking of characters and kind of around that same scene, we do get a return of John Canny. And and also, this is, I think, the first time the MCU has shown the audience that there is life after death. And I think yeah. to date, to date, it's happened three times, I think. It's it's this, and then to jump ahead, sorry, for so hit the 15 second ahead thing, but for <laughs> Thor, Love, and Thunder, Valhalla exists. Mm-hmm. And then... There's another. Oh, once again, spoilers. <laughs> Jump ahead 15 seconds. Rocket Rock to Raccoon. There, there's a heaven esque. Yeah, there's something. He, something in Guardians Three. Yeah, there's something in <laughs> Guardians Three that's again. It's like I appreciate how they've introduced like the kind of the spiritual elements of this. In that, like, they're not being so strict that it's like okay, there's there's only one one thing here like we're right the comics all have their own flavors each of these Mm -hmm. stories each of these cultures have their own flavors and it's okay to like kind of play with those and experiment with them i think i don't know if it's straight up like afterlife but like certainly with the like the spiritualness of Mm -hmm. it like uh i think of shang chi oh yeah that has a lot of kind of mystical spiritual elements to it as well and and i commend marvel on not being, I mean, it's been, when did this movie come out? 2018. So it's been 10 years yeah. since the mm-hmm. MCU started. So they, I mean, they didn't introduce it real quick, but. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. But like, not being afraid of playing with those ideas, I guess, is what I'm saying. And I think if there was a movie to introduce it in, I think this would probably have been the one to do it with. Just because, I mean, obviously this movie pulls a lot. There are several cultural costuming and uh, like choices mm-hmm. that went into costuming based off of real life cultural aspects in Africa. Yep. So I think, like I said, if you're going to introduce some form of afterlife, some form of, of whatever, they... Might not have been the best choice, but it was a good choice to do yeah. it with this one. Yep. Yeah. And I, what the best choice would have been, I have no idea. But, <laughs> but it, uh, I think it fits for this movie. So in the ancestral plane, which I like that double entendre of plane, and it's the savanna, which is mm, the plane. That's, that's uh, funny. Oh. John Candy, I noticed his left eye is like bulging and looks lazy oh. in in that shot. And I was like, that's strange. I don't remember seeing that turns out john canny in real life has a prosthetic left eye oh 
And so I'm curious if they, and I didn't go back. I was telling Brett before, basically the movie finished and then he texted me and was like, are we ready? (laughs) So I like just watched this. I didn't get a chance to go back and and look Civil War. But yeah, apparently the real life John Candy has a glass prosthetic left eye. So that's kind of interesting. I like the flirtation between T'Challa and Nakia. I think that's really cute, especially the way Chadwick Boseman just... Is like a little kid when he's around oh, her. absolutely. And then when, when Shuri <laughs> makes fun of him later for it, it's good stuff. Yeah, it's fun. Like like I said, I think these characters all have really good chemistry. So we also get to see at this point, like that interaction between him and Shuri. And mm-hmm. Shuri is kind of this like, she is like the little sister who just is happy to like poke the bear, right? Like, yeah, she's... <laughs> She, uh, she is a, I don't know, I guess at this point, she's she probably wasn't Gen Z, but like whatever she was, <laughs> right. like, yeah, you just feel that younger sibling energy. She doesn't have that, you know, burden of responsibility that her older brother has. And I like their dynamic. They have a lot of fun. They're fun to watch together. So absolutely. It's, and I like the way she hand, handles her lab and she goes from like, or like she just seems very in her element enough to where, you know, he hits the suit for the first time and, you know, it flies across the room and yeah. she's like, careful, what are you doing? <laughs> but then immediately after she's like, okay, for the purpose of this joke, yeah. go ahead. And if you hit something like, you know, it's what, yeah, <laughs> right. So I think that it, it, like you said, it shows her being the little sister who's, I like that, I like that, who's willing to poke the bear. But it's a good balance between, okay, this is scientist Shuri and then little sister Shuri. Yeah. This is also the introduction of nanotech in the MCU. That's right. And with this, I dig it. But the reason I dig it isn't necessarily because of what it's going to mean in future movies. But every time that people turn on their suits, their Black Panther stuff in this movie, their clothes shred off. Mm. The, yeah, the first time he does after the casino scene, which I want to talk about next, the first time that happens, his suit shreds away. And then later when Killmonger turns his on for the first time, his That's clothes right. also kind of burn yeah. off and burn away. And then I think this is the only movie it happens in because I think the next time we see that might even be Infinity War where Tony is able to turn on his suit and it like it doesn't matter what he's wearing underneath it just happens you know and so it's like they had this really interesting and really well thought out uh, mechanic that they then kind of were maybe like and i mean yeah i guess the technology would progress but i i want there to be consequences to turning your suit on i don't want it like you know we we talk about not on the pod but outside i know we both have talked about an ant-man you know or ant-man quantumania people whip on their helmets on and off that entire movie yep and it's it can it's like if you get too much of a good thing it ruins it kind yeah. of and yeah. this the nanotech is a good thing i enjoy the consequence of you have to either wear like a protective layer underneath that won't burn away or your clothes are just gone <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah. just yeah, yeah. kind of like in a, a blue beetle recently came out mm-hmm. and uh yeah he yeah. his clothes he's naked <laughs> he's anytime naked. he turns the suit off yeah so. it is a good opportunity for a joke i mean right like <laughs> absolutely <laughs> But yeah, but then we do have the casino scene, which we've mentioned mm-hmm. a couple times now. And I think it's just, it's an excellent, 
It's lengthy. I think it's about a 10-minute scene, yeah. even before we get to the, the chase aspect at the end. But it's a it's a kind of a good in the field, away from Wakanda, mm-hmm. a little bit out of their element. Like it, not really, but we are kind of wondering what's going on. It's that espionage thing back and forth. Yeah, and I'm curious. You know, you, you are super excited about this, so you you talk more about it. <laughs> well, like I said earlier, it this is you know they they talk about the inspirations for this movie. I can see a little bit of the Godfather in there. You know, I haven't seen the a prophet or whatever, but mm-hmm. I have seen James Bond and <laughs> yeah, just, I, I think the number one thing you have to get right with that honestly is the sexiness of, mm. of that movie. Mm-hmm. And boy, are they sexy in that casino scene? Yeah. T'Challa's got this, you know, kind of sparkly, dark green, black suit. Okoye and Nakia are both wearing these like, very flattering dresses mm-hmm. that are combat efficient as well. You know, when Okoye finally starts getting into the action, like the, the, their dresses look combat ready that, you know, they're they able to look, move in them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, all I can think of with that is right after this, there's the chasing and like, she's standing up on the car oh. and like that red dress is like flowing behind. Flop, it's like, it yes. looks so good. It's such like good, iconic imagery absolutely out of out of costuming right like yeah it's not like her typical warrior wear which we we still get to see but we're gonna we're gonna get to play around with that a little bit and i think that's they do a really good job yes uh, and uh, kind of with that because the, the thing that kind of wraps up the casino scene is i think also you know the the woman out front uh the elderly lady that it kind of it, it gatekeeps Mm-hmm. You, you know you mentioned tertiary characters she's no i mean as far as the movie is concerned she's no she could be a bad guy for all we know yeah you know like she could not be a good person but her little like playful antics with nakia as she's talking with her and it was and you know she has that really coy smile after she says uh, a troublemaker like you or something like that but then when claw rolls up he just gives her a kiss on the cheek and she, you know, has a sweet little smile and just lets him in. And like, I, and like, it's those little things of that gives that character life that we wouldn't have, you know, cause then they get into the, into the, into the casino and everybody, you know, everyone's in suits or whatever. They're all very passerbys of little consequence, but they gave that character out front some creative choices Mm-hmm. And that's what makes those scenes like that bring it to life. And then when Claw does walk in, they walk right through the metal detectors. Their alarms are going off and nobody bats an eye. Like, yep. And that shows us, I think that's another kind of James Bond thing. This is not T'Challa's territory. This is not Agent Ross's territory. This is where Claw is. Yep. Claw has probably made deals like this at the same place before. This is his home turf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And then, so then you mentioned the car scene. This is, I think, one of my favorite car chase scenes in a movie ever. And not necessarily because of the chase itself, but like there's so many really cool creative decisions that happen during it that make it really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, the the Okoye on the roof with the spear, the way she stops that car is incredible. Um, <laughs> T'Challa's pulling the car. I mean, yeah, it is a superhero movie, so we do get some kind of wackadoo stuff. But him like pulling the guard to the side to get it to make a sharp ninety degree turn. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, and then uh, the Shuri, uh, Shuri, like autopilot, like 
remote driving yeah. the car. Like, that's another good, like, hey, here's this, like, gal who's fantastic with technology, and she can help be, she's a part of the team, even if she's not there. It's the guy right. in the chair, but, like, with practical, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Not, but not actually the guys doing, in yeah. the chair don't actually help, but, like, <laughs> right. you know, driving something, moving something, physically being there, having a physical presence in that scene that many, you know, it's, it's a it's a just a really good way of incorporating her in 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 a situation that you pretty easily could have like not needed her in. Right. But it shows that she is an important part of this team going forward. That's mm-hmm. going to be important and uh, she's not just there f- for her two scenes as little sister. Right. And I love the uh, just these characters being the characters, man. They she throws the uh, Nakia throws the little uh, mechanical disc, whatever, mm-hmm. lands on the car, and we don't know. I mean, we don't know what it is. It could be a bomb for all we know as the audience. But then the little sand tech that they have shoots up in Shuri's lab, and she goes, "Yes!" Yeah. And like <laughs> it's very, it's it's very, it's a very cool moment. Mm-hmm. And then uh, to end with, I think that there's another scene in here where, uh, you, you know, I, I, I know I, I mentioned blue beetle. I want to give a little bit of a, of a talk with that. Um, in relation to this, you know, the director for blue beetle mentions that the movie, he said that the movie is unapologetically Latino. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing can be attributed to black Panther. And it, you know, you could even say the whole like black Panther walks. So blue beetle could run, even though black Panther is probably the better movie. Not probably. It is the better movie, but I real there's a really, interesting scene to look at at the end of that car chase where T'Challa is ready to kill Claw and he said you know he says have mercy King and he goes uh, every breath you take is an act of mercy mm-hmm. and then Okoye says the world watches and sure enough you turn around and you see everybody's there crowded around with their phones you know which is what yep. which now that's pretty common in, in movies here in 2023 that something happens and everybody whips their phone out. But I think that's one of the first times that we've seen that happen is in Black Panther, the, the the consequence of everybody having a cell phone and pulling it out to record. And I think that's a really interesting take on like, and not to put words in, or uh, basically put words in, in Ryan Cooler's mouth, but like on police brutality and, and things of that nature yeah. where a lot of times when we do see police and other authoritative entities taking advantage of minorities or oppressed people. It's often through video that gets, you know, that circulates like wildfire. And so that's a, an interesting take on this scene to flip that and be like, yeah, Claw is a terrible guy and deserves to die. But what is this going to look like for, you know, people know the black Panther is from Wakanda. Mm -hmm. What is this going to look like for the country? If you just murder this white guy, essentially in the street, you know? And I think that, I think that scene, you know, you can watch it and just take it for what it is, but I think there's something else. And I think that happens a few times in in this movie where there's these kind of more scenes that take a little bit more care with how they're looked at and how they're filmed and how they're attributed to real life. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I think that's absolutely a valid way of, of interpreting that scene. And it's, you know, I think it's become only more relevant in the years since yeah. this film came out. So, um, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I mentioned in the 
opening, I wanted to talk a little bit about Ludwig Gornson. Yeah. And consequently, Kendrick Lamar, who also uh, is featured as a credited score writer, soundtrack writer on this. From what I understand, from what I looked up, Kendrick Lamar was asked by Marvel Studios and was endorsed by, I think, Sony Music, maybe. I'm not sure what the label was, to produce an album. And, and commemoration of, of this movie. Mm-hmm. So he did. He, he, he released Black Panther, the album. Yep. And several of those tracks are featured on uh, in this movie. Uh, specifically, I did notice, I was trying to pick them out during the movie. Mm. The Weeknd is featured on one of the tracks. And that's the one that actually plays in the casino. Because... <laughs> I was listening for Kendrick Lamar's voice, and I was like, <laughs> that's really sing-songy. For, I, and I was like, man, that really sounds like The weekend." And sure enough, he, he was featured. But he mm. featured, a t- I think there's like a, there's a track that 2 Chains is featured on. A lot, uh, uh, I don't know how to say her name, but the S-Z-A, SZA, maybe? She's featured on one of the tracks. So anyway, but he is credited as a soundtrack, included on the soundtrack credits for this. Ludwig Gorenson... In, in past, you know, he recently won the Academy Award for Best Score, which I have thoughts on. Anyway, so he's done that, and that was for the uh, reboot, remake, whatever, of, uh, uh, what was it, the, the, the Western Front. All Quiet All on the quiet Western, on the Western front. front. Yeah. Yeah. He also, he did another movie recently. Oh, uh, Oppenheimer. He was the composer on that. Yep. He is, at least in, in my mind, in my personal opinion... His music recently has been very similar to Hans Zimmer, which I it's hard for me to get over. Mm. Uh, uh, like, you know, if I want to listen to Hans Zimmer, I'll, I'll just listen to Hans Zimmer, you know, because he's not gone. Like he, he also the year before won one best score or best original score for uh, Dune. Mm-hmm. And so like he's around and anyway, so. My thoughts on him are, are kind of hit or miss. But with this movie, this score is incredible. And part of the reason I, I did a little bit of digging is he did go... So part of the problem... I, and I know this is the second week in a row I've gotten up on a music soapbox. So I'm sorry. Part of the reason I think that score is so good is because here in America, especially, we have a really bad habit of listening to the same music. And what I mean by that is everything has a backbeat. Everything has a hip-hop beat. You know, if you go into TikTok, you'll find a ton of people that are putting trap beats or hip hop beats to like classical music. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I, I had a tweet recently that I said something like, uh, putting your okay to fine beat over music that is already good. The reason that it sounds good is because good plus fine still equals good. <laughs> but in West Africa, drumming is a huge part of the culture there you know ever since Mm -hmm. basically the dawn of man drumming has been a part of culture in africa and part of what they do is they do what's called polyrhythms where you put different different rhythms that don't go together together and it it creates you can you can hear especially in the theme when wakanda first enters and there's the horn lick of the um there's this really really beautiful honestly drumming that's happening underneath and that's what gives it that texture of of other other uh of we would call if this was in the 1990s we would call it ethnomusicology but 
it, but it gives you this or exoticism is the other word for that. It gives you this feeling of like other, other worldliness or this is not America. This is not Western music. Yeah. And I think that's incredible I, that he was able to do that. It's, it's still a little, I think it's a little, I feel a little slimy that he, you know, he, he is, as far as I know, he's not of African descent. He's not, you know, I think he's, he's German or, or he's from, that area, mm-hmm. uh, Scandinavia, places like that. And as far as I, so that feels a little slimy that he's kind of capitalizing a little bit on that. But I mean, Ryan Coogler liked him enough from his previous work to have him come in on this. And he freaking delivers, man. This this score is incredible. And then just to add, <laughs> to add, you know, the icing on the cake, to have Kendrick Lamar and then Ludwig Göransson score. It, it's a recipe for success, man. It's so freaking good. Agreed, agreed. It's one of those that when it came, like when the soundtrack came out, it was on repeat in oh, yeah. our house for a while. A hundred percent. I I cry, man, when when they first enter Wakanda and everything, even up up until that. The first half hour of this movie is so emotional, and I think the music drives that. And yeah. we do. It, it. I think it does kind of flounder a little bit and. At, toward the end of Act Two and maybe the beginning of Act Three, there's this like hip hop beat that's just um, that's just like a, a drum machine with some bass tones. It, it's and the only reason is because it's used like three times. Mm, yeah, yeah. There's also another really little cool gem in that car chase scene where T'Challa gets a car to blow up in front of him, and then his theme comes or like the Wakanda theme comes back over the track that's being played. And it, it's a really special moment, I think. But anyway, all right, that's my soapbox. I'll step down. That's twice this episode. Someone <laughs> stop me, please. <laughs> Tell me things. What What else about this movie? You You, you said the the third act's the third act's wonky. Tell me about that. Well, yeah. So I think like again, like at the end of the second act, we get like kind of a non traditional thing with these kinds of movies, which is you know, killing off a, of a villain. Claw was. Oh yeah. I think not. I was not expecting that to happen. But it's done in in a way that really reinforces Eric's savagery and determination uh, to get what he wants. He knows how to get what he want, wants. And my, I think where it kind of rushes then to get to the the rest of the third act and what we ultimately have to have, which is this conflict, it just moves a little fast, honestly. I think it becomes a little formulaic. We've got all of a sudden now, sure, he's making... You know, photon blaster weapons. Why? <laughs> because well, because we she because she needs to use them in in thirty minutes. We've got the like everyone's, and this is a culture thing. I get it. I get it. You know, there's the 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 rechallenging of the of the king kingsmanship thing. It's 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 something we've seen before. That I'm not sure we need to see again. Okay. It's a good it's a good fight, right? Like Eric is like I say just a blast to watch yeah. Michael, B, Michael B. Jordan as Eric. Yeah. But I, I just think that we start moving a lot faster than I, and I, the movie's what already two, it's like a little over two hours. Yeah. Like so two, two Oh five or something. Two Oh five or something. You know, I, in a, in a probably a perfect world for me, this movie would be closer to two and a half and it would, it would do something more like what, dune does with transfers of power which is it's this Mm. dramatic thing that really shakes up the story whereas 
you know, there is the king's family, you know, T'Challa's family, um, is basically the only people who are like, oh, no, we're not, like, we're going underground. We're not cool with this. We're going to take his body, and we're going to go up to the mountains. And everyone else is just like, oh, yeah, bro, it's it's fine if we have a new, a new king suddenly. It just seemed yeah. like everyone was really... Not on board because obviously, like the the guard Okoye is not on board with it. But yeah. it made such a a big and complicated culture feel small for the sake yeah. of let's move the plot forward. That said, I think <laughs> Michael B. Jordan's performance every every time he's on the screen in the third act, which is a lot more than the first two acts, it's phenomenal. I love it. it yeah, his his absolutely. his mannerisms, his way of carrying himself you know kind of political speeches he gets to make i love it it's great <laughs> and then and then the other part of the third act that i think kind of falls apart is is the big fight yeah. it really does kind of feel like we're just on a big you know uh, big empty a field big, a big empty field we're all punching each other punchy punchy <laughs> there's some this the aircrafts that are flying away that what's his name gets uh Oh, Ross. Yeah, Everett Ross gets a, gets an opportunity to, you know, try and shoot down yeah. before ultimately two of the, you know, same hero, same skill set because we have to <laughs> level the playing field. We have Black yeah. Panther 1 and Black Panther 2 <laughs> have to, you know, fight. And I think their fight, especially when it gets down to the train, is pretty cool. I like that they're using the, like, the mag system mm. to, like, nullify the effect of the of the suits I think that's really clever. Yeah. I just think visually there's 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 aspects of the fight that aren't that interesting. There are moments within the fight that are really really good. You talked earlier about like Okoye and what, Wakabi? His? Yeah, Wakabi no. and like their personal relationship like that is interwoven into this final conflict in ways that are really really good up to the point of like that rhino charge where the rhino just like <laughs> stops and she's like Yes. <laughs> you know Good the right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then the finale of it, you know, with the the final moments with Killmonger and mm-hmm. and T'Challa are amazing and they completely make you know watching what I think is a kind of ultimately like a pretty boring extended fight scene makes it totally worth it because like the the conversation they have at the end is phenomenal. It's really touching. It's almost heartbreaking. Um, it is, yeah. And his his final line of the of the uh, uh, they knew that death was better than bondage. Mm-hmm. It re- really, especially here in America, I think that really brings it back home to like, huh? <laughs> you know, yep. <laughs> but no, yeah, it's a kind of kind of going off what you said there. I agree with basically everything. I, the only thing I think I might disagree with a little bit, and I think it's just in different interpretation. Yes, I think the fight is weak because of what you mentioned. It, it's kind of just in this big field. It's really like, I always feel like there's this really small group of the women warriors, mm-hmm. and then there's like an army of Wakabi's guys. <laughs> <laughs> and and it seems like everybody's fighting every, you know, but I I have to remind myself like this is basically a civil war that's happening. Mm-hmm. These are these, these are brothers and sisters that have known each other probably since childhood killing each other. And I, so I, keeping that in mind, I always 
kind of forgive it, I think, a little bit more. Sure. But I, but like I said, I, I, I still think I, I agree that it is weaker. There's a, there's. I think because. Oh, go ahead. Oh well, no, I was just, I was gonna mention, like, I think they do a good job in the first act of the second Black Panther movie, where there is like a fight inside of like the main city in Wakanda, mm-hmm. the capital city. And I, th- and I like that feels better to me. I actually think the third act of the second movie suffers from the exact same thing that this does, which is like, yeah. it's a big open, pl- big, probably because <laughs> the mostly filming on like a big blue screen. Right. Like, right. Yeah. It's, they don't have this big expanse or they have, you know, the fields outside of Atlanta to, to <laughs> go. Right. <shoot> this. <laughs> but I, what I, I will say like the, the intro to that fight scene like mm-hmm. the Chala coming up and being, you know, having his line about like, clearly I'm not dead. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's freaking go. And how that fight all starts out. I think that's really fun. It is entertaining and it gets you hyped. And then it devolves into rhinos charging around. And yeah. <laughs> I just don't think that <laughs> looks that good. I don't, like the third act CGI and this isn't as good as I think it should be. Yeah. Especially when they get actually into the mine on the track, there's a couple really suspect moments in that fight where it's just two rubber men flying through the air. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And then the, yeah, the right. And the rhinos just look out of place. They, they look, they look too otherworldly. Mm-hmm. And I, cause I don't think there's so, I think there's supposed to be like a different version of right. Cause they, it's insinuated earlier that they don't stop growing. Right. Yeah. Uh, like what you were saying with the intro, there are two things that I really like that. We kind of get a little bit of resolution with two lines. Number one, like we mentioned, I think twice now, Wakabi and Okoye have a moment. And then also, when Killmonger during the fight oh that's what I was gonna say I think the problem with having the the king the kingship fight happen twice is they're both good yeah and I think and I think to have it feel to have it feel better I think one of them needs to be one of them either needs to be the first fight either just needs to be okay mm-hmm. or the second fight needs to be fantastic mm. we they're, they're just too similar they're too you know T'Challa gets stabbed in both of them, you know, right. and and, and uh, maybe it's supposed to mirror each other. I don't know, but I, I so I I get that it, they're both good. One of them needs to have something different about it to make that feel better. I think. So then, after that second fight, one of the one of the the guard asks Okoye, "Is there any? Is there nothing we can do?" And she kind of just shakes her head, you know. But then later. Like you said, when T'Challa shows up and he, as, as you can see, I am not dead. Okoye turns and she says, you have to finish the challenge. Like, or he orders them to do something and she turns and says, you have like, no, like we, we, we're able to disobey you now yeah. because the challenge is not over. And right. so that's also a thing I like that connects that there's nothing they can do in the moment. Oh wait, he's not dead. There is something we can do now. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I mean, I basically agree with you on everything else about that third act. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. It, I mean, it's it's decent eye candy for the most part. I think I I, I have it on. Like I'm just kind of watching the third act as oh sure we're talking, and I'm like, you know, like visually, it's not it's not boring to look at. There's not, I just there's think nothing that, bad about it. It's just there's some parts of it that are a little meandery. 
Yeah, and it gets super formulaic. You know, it's like the okay, well, Nikita and and Shuri are gonna do their like two v one on right. Killmonger on the bad guy, and they're gonna get beaten, and the guards are gonna do their one v one. Like everyone has their kind of moment, and like that's yeah. partially you want. You want each character, because there are going to be people who, like, love different characters, you want each of them to have their moment. I just think, it, I think for the most part, like, the third act just feels way too formulaic for a movie that, for the first two acts, like, or at least the first half, was it felt really unique and really yeah. special uh, in the MCU. And then it's like, okay, but now we got to do the thing. <laughs> right. So, but then, man, like you said, the, like, the... The fun, the finale, you know that message about like bury me at sea. That got me good this time. Like that hit hard. Oh, yeah. And then the sunset shot when like that was a reference to what his his dad was saying about like there's mm-hmm. no more beautiful sunsets than in Wakanda. But then the 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 thing after right post kind of climax of the movie, we see the ripple effects of Eric. Like, it's not just, okay, now we're going to rebuild. It's like, okay, no, now I've maybe changed my mind on a few things. Like, he has influenced our protagonist in a way that pushes him to change. And and that's not typical of a Captain America-esque character, right? Like, T'Challa is a character who, at the beginning, like, in his first... Uh, sequence uh, uh, the astral the astral plane sequence his his dad is like you're a good man and it's a good it's hard for a good man to be a king oh yeah and I didn't catch that the uh, that's this is the first time I've caught that line yeah with its implications for later right yeah yeah so I think that like the fact that they're still able to give him room to grow as a character is just telling of like really good writing yeah for who he is and it makes sense in the world of the mcu i think then to okay we're it's important to think about our impact and what we can do outside of our own nationalistic senses i think 2018 we talked a little bit about that in the news i think nationalism has been on the rise around the world in the over the last I don't know, eight, 10 years. But 2018 was, there was definitely a lot of that talk, right? Like that was in Europe, even in America, there was like a big nationalist movement. And I think what this movie is trying to say on some level is that like you, you can't be a part of the world and not like, like not care about it. Yeah. Whether that's, whether that's climate change or, conflict like you need if you're truly isolationist and you are well it's like the spider-man sorry we're gonna go back to spider-man homecoming right like it's (laughs) like if i have this power to do something and i don't what how that that implicates me somehow right like i hold some responsibility and then what i think the movie is saying is like on a cultural level here is a group of people in this universe that have not had to endure endure colonialism, have gotten, had advancements that they can share with the rest of the world, with the rest of, you know, people of color. Yeah. And they have that opportunity and they should take that opportunity. I, I you know, that's something that I took away from the film. I, maybe not everyone would read that the same, but I, I don't think that's terribly subtle. Right. Yeah. I, I remember I, I took a, I almost... <laughs> 
sorry, well, aside, almost minored in anthropology in, oh. in college. And one of the big one of the big points of conversation that we always talked about was, especially when studying ancient cultures in places like the Middle East, Africa, even you know, very early Western medieval mm-hmm. type type stuff, is for for the longest time, you know, you if you were in your country, that was where you were for your entire life. Yep. You you know, you didn't you didn't travel, you didn't do anything. So what had happened was cultures became kind of unified in their own sect but as technology has advanced and and it becomes easier to travel the world becomes easier to get news from other parts in the world we've we've i'm gonna use the word suffered we've (laughs) suffered the effects of globalization where now we have to (laughs) Uh, that we you can't avoid it. You can study culture and you can study uh, humanities in their own spots, but no longer can you just you know say okay I'm going to go live in France and just be a part of France. Right. And now you're a part of France as it as it exists in a world of communication. Mm-hmm. And so it's cool to see this country Wakanda come to that realization of, you know, it's, you know, maybe for hundreds of years they were able to just exist and be Wakanda, but now, you know, they're actively not participating with the rest of the world, you mm-hmm. know? And so that, that's a, that's a neat observation. Yeah, man. Well, do you have any more points you want to hit before we wrap it up? Um, I don't think so. I just like kind of, to echo that, like the the final scene in this movie is them back at back in Oakland, right? And he's yeah bought that that building and the building next to it and the building next to it. And it's <laughs> it's a continuation of that thought, right? Of like, okay, how can we impact the world um, so that we don't have people like Eric, right? So yeah. we don't have the, the because at the end of the day, like Eric's its story is it's a tragedy. Yeah. It's someone who had like good ideas, but couldn't, you know, figure like the only way to get them done was was through horrible acts. And right. I think that it's cool that they don't just like kind of pie in the sky like, yeah, we're going to do things. Woo. It's like, no, like here's here's that plan. Like and they don't, don't give us a 12, 12 point presentation, but it's like community center outreach we're gonna we're gonna make sure that the people are taken care of and i think that's really really cool yeah absolutely and i think it's a great that's a very for a movie that can be divisive against itself in terms of two separate ideologies being presented that's a really positive way to end it and and say you know kind of essentially say let's make a change yeah there was one note i had that we didn't hit there's a really strong undertone as well, and kind of actually what we're talking about right now. There's this really strong undertone of tradition versus change throughout almost the entire movie. And I think it does kind of... I, I, I had written down, it comes to a head when Killmonger challenges T'Challa and Ramonda steps in and says, and says no. Like, mm-hmm. if you follow tradition she shouldn't say no because they're both within their rights to do that. And, but I think 
that's not where it comes to a head. I think that might be the climax, but I think mm. it comes in terms of that. But I think what you mentioned is where it actually does kind of come home, so to speak, of this ending of we, we are rejecting tradition and maybe not all tradition, but we're rejecting this aspect of it in favor of a change that we believe will help further the world, you know, or, or further communication. But yep. anyway, man. Yeah. Well, kind of at the, uh, at the end here of this, what, uh, let's see, what setup for future properties do we have? Uh, well, Black Panther 2. There is, yep, there's some Black Panther 2 vibes. We've got kind of in one of the post credit scenes, we... Oh, yeah, the the White Wolf. We get we get Bucky. We get to see Bucky, and that's a little bit of an end game. Or not end game, uh, Infinity War setup. So that's, that's neato. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I think for the most part, this movie does kind of... Like, it does a really good job of... And, we, and we've talked about this in the past, but it does a good job of... Being its own thing while implementing and like talking about the MCU, Mm -hmm. it's not overwhelmed with the Avengers and yada yada and Shield and like we get a little bit with Ross. He's clearly a character in in the other things, but he's not so tied to another hero or the Avengers even that it's that it feels like he's like the MCU like inserting itself into into black panther right so i will uh, yeah i'll i'll give it additional props i guess for that for for feeling like a standalone film despite being obviously the 18th movie in this franchise (laughs) (laughs) i think Um, that's at least on my end i think that's going to reflect in in my ranking is how much this doesn't feel like an mcu movie yeah and i was thinking about this while i was watching it you know, we just did Thor Ragnarok where Taika Waititi kind of comes in and really Taika Waititi's up that character. Mm-hmm. This is feeling kind of phase one-ish in terms of we're getting to see directors be directors and and they're not necessarily put in a box. Not, you know, we've kind of, I think you and I both talked respectively on our, on our, on our separate pods about MCU is kind of, uh, they want to add formula now. Mm-hmm. Because and now it it really seems like for several of these recent properties, the the executive producer Kevin Feige or whoever comes in and they hand the director a checklist and it says you know okay, here's eighteen things that we need to happen, so do whatever you want, but these eighteen things need to be hit. But then when you do that, you you really box in those directors and it and that's how you get formula. Yep. But yeah, between this one and then Thor Ragnarok. And then I don't remember what's next. Maybe Infinity War surely isn't next. Uh, it might be. Let me look. MCU movies. <laughs> oh, Ant Man and the Wasp. Maybe might be uh, next. Is that right? Is that right? We'll find out here in just one second. It nope. It is Infinity War. Oh my Ant Man and the Wasp is after Infinity War. My dude, this is I know been a journey. That's heavy. That's crazy. Okay, yeah. so where do you where do you rank this in your MCU list? Man, this is number three. Nice. That, yeah. That, so uh, my number two is the first Avengers, and mm-hmm. then it's number three will be Black Panther, and then number four is Iron Man. 
Nice. I this oh. past rewatch, man, I like this last rewatch today really <laughs> I don't know what it is. Just gave me a, it was that it was like watching it with different eyes or something. But mm-hmm. what about you, man? What were you thinking? I put it at number five. Okay. I've got it slated just below Age of Ultron at number four and just above Civil War at number six. Nice. So cool. um, I think it's, like you said, it kind of feels like a phase one. I don't have as many phase ones up as high, I think, as you do. But it, it's got that, like, for me, it's, it's a little better than, like, Spider-Man and Iron Man, which I have, like, at seven and eight. And then I was thinking, like, I, I appreciate that it's a solo film yeah. that makes me feel the way I do. And I think it's a little better than Civil War in that regard. Um, sure. Civil War is a fantastic, <laughs> I mean, we've talked about it, obviously. It's a, I think it's a fantastic ensemble piece. But, um, but I am going to put Black Panther above it. So Okay. Nice, man. Cool. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us. We didn't hit box office. We'll make sure to hit that next time. This is a new year. So we'll, and we're also going to change up our, our formula a little bit. In the past, we've stacked this against other movies at the time, but we found that we just end up repeating the same movies three or four episodes in a row. So I think where we do stay of the world at the beginning of the episode, and now I think we'll do how the MCU movies of that year stack up against movies of the uh, of that uh, other movies of that year and we'll save that for the last one of the year so whatever came out at the end of 2018 whatever that's going to be that's when we'll do our how movies stacked up and maybe maybe we'll do box yeah, office be, that'll be ant-man and the wasp will be when we talk about nice. kind of how both all three like black panther infinity war and ant-man and the wasp we'll talk about those three together and how they stack up against the other films of 2018. Yes. We'll do all of that in the Ant-Man and the Wasp episode. Right. And maybe we should, maybe box office numbers should also be saved for that too. We'll, we'll chat about that, but. I think that's a good idea. I think that's a good idea because then we can kind of compare, we can take a little more time and compare them individually. And we'll just need to be uh, aware that we can't, you know, spend too long talking about the movie. <laughs> this one just is too much fun. Like every scene in those first two uh, it's so good, acts man. for me are just like, but there's this thing we got to talk about. Right. There's this thing we got to talk. <laughs> and it's like, okay, we can, we can like gloss over some of that, but yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> cool, man. Well, uh, that wraps us, wraps it up for us here uh, on, de- on deconstructing. And we will see you next time for infinity war. And we may have a little treat for you. We, uh, we got some stuff to talk about, so we'll we'll figure it out. But anyway, we will see you next time. See you. So that's all I have for that. But fear not, I'm gonna keep talking some more while you enjoy your lunch. Oh, I've I've finished. So you, you if you need oh. to, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. Do a you're hand fine. up. Nope, we're we're good. I'm gonna keep rolling. I got my Dr Pepper, so I'm good. Um, he thought that Wesley Snipes. Oh, hang on. Sorry, my window's open and a motorcycle just went by. Um, yeah, definitely. There's a comedian on Netflix. He has a special recently. I can't remember his name. The comedian's name is James A. Caster, and the special on Netflix is entitled Repertoire. But he has this whole, this whole bit about how the British Museum went and like just stole everything in the world. <laughs> I think his exact quote is, Britain uh, robbed the robbed the earth or something like that. Yeah. Uh, 
Who did who did uh who did The Last Jedi? Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson. Uh I have very few qualms with Ryan Johnson's uh crap, why am I brain farting so much? Um, no, the the second one. Glass onion. Glass onion. Guys in the chairs, quote unquote. I'm I'm doing finger quotes <laughs> if you I mean no one can see this, it's a podcast, but <laughs> I like, can see it. <laughs> everything okay? Everything's good. I think she just had been out there for a little while and no one mm, was letting her in. <laughs> That's She's funny. like, I want to go sunbathe until I don't, and then I'm and then I'm ready to come in. <laughs> <laughs> What's the temperature like there? Oh, it's not bad. Uh, Eighty-seven. So it's it's actually pretty pretty reasonable, but I think she just gets lonely. She likes. People. You want to know? You want to know what the high is here today? Oh no! What is it? Seventy-six. Oh, jealous. It got down to it got down to fifty-eight last night. That is gorgeous 